I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We're actually going to be uh, looking at a theme related to the uh, second piece that the choir sang with the help of our uh, trumpet players. Oh, love, how deep, how broad, how high. You'll see that theme in our text as we look uh, just at the... uh, first three verses of chapter 3, although we'll do a little bit to set it in its context. Let's hear this uh, wonderful portion of God's word to us this morning. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We've been uh, looking for a number of weeks at this uh, wonderful little letter from uh, the Apostle John uh, to believers in his day and by God's providence uh, to us in this day. And uh, we've we've noticed already the, the very personal tone to this letter. I'll just remind you of that. Uh, over and over again, he addresses his hearers as children as little children. In fact, he uses three different Greek words for children in this letter, which really conveys the idea of a, of a, of a fatherly love uh, behind this letter, uh, perhaps written you know, later on in John's life. We don't know exactly when he would have written this, but, uh, but we do know that uh, history tells us that he is the last of the apostles to die and uh, dies at an old age in the uh, area that we now know today as Turkey. Uh, And and he was characterized by by his love. And and we see in our text uh, that he is characterized by that love because he has has gotten a glimpse of the love of God. The love of God. I, I, I... I consistently find myself daunted by the task of preaching because there is such incredible truth here that I am in constant fear of detracting in some way from the truth of this word because I want it to impact you as powerfully as, as John would have wanted it to impact you. I want it to have a power in your life that is as powerful as that which the Holy Spirit wants in the lives of his people. So if you need to ignore some of what I'm saying, to to meditate and to grasp the incredible truth here in this text, then certainly do that. As I said, this text uh, comes in a context And uh, one of the other things that that conveys sort of a personal feel to this letter is it doesn't really read in a 
a typically logical, ordered fashion the way a speech or an essay might. Uh, John seems to really be speaking from his heart, and he'll bring up a, a theme and talk about it, and then that'll lead him to another theme, and then he'll perhaps go back to the first one. And so, so it's, it's really more like a living conversation than a, than a dry lecture, and I hope you're catching some of that as you uh, read and think about this, this little letter. It'd be a great thing to to read it through at one piece, perhaps, later on today, even. And so these verses, the chapter division, of course, wasn't there. Chapters and verses weren't in this letter when John wrote it. He didn't put those in. We put them in many years later just to make it a little bit easier for us to, to talk about the Scripture and refer to pieces of the Scripture. Uh, so there's, there's really not a major break between the end of chapter 2 there in your text and the beginning of chapter 3. So let's remind ourselves of, of where he was at the end of, of chapter 2 there, in verses 28 and 29. And now little children, there he is using that term of intimacy again for his hearers, abide in him, that is Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That theme of appearance is going to show up in our text. If you know that he is righteous, if you know that he is righteous, perfectly holy, not just a little bit better than the average here, okay? You, you, need, you need to get a hold of the idea of the righteousness of God here if you're really going to understand what he says in our text. And that's hard for you. Because you're a sinner like me. I don't want you to aim for that. Aim for, for seeing God as perfectly righteous. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That's the prelude to our text. God is perfectly righteous. And so anyone who is born of him, anyone who shares his life, anyone who is his child in a real sense, practices righteousness. Like father, like child. That's what he's saying. You catch that? If you really heard that, you ought to be worried right now. I read this, I get worried because I do not consistently practice righteousness. And you don't either. So where is the gospel here? We need some good news. And I think there is a powerful message of good news here for sinners. Look at how he begins this sentence, the beginning of verse 3. It's, it's worded a little bit awkwardly because he wants us to focus our attention on a particular thing. See, look, what kind of a person is this who can speak and the wind and the waves obey him? You, you, you see the meaning behind that, right? This is no normal person. 
Something supernatural here is happening. He's, Jesus has just broken all of their categories. They thought they were just following another teacher, another rabbi, perhaps better than some, more loving perhaps than, than many. But suddenly, what he has done breaks their category, the category they put him in. Who discerns at least a little bit the holiness of God, the immediate response is to recognize one's own sinfulness. And so Peter says, I am a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Leave me. I'm a sinner. It's similar to the response of Isaiah. You remember the vision of Isaiah there in Isaiah chapter 6? He has a vision of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. He sees the Lord enthroned in the temple. It's such a majestic, such an overpowering image. All, he, all he's aware of is the, the, the bottom hem of the robe of the Lord filling the temple. And he hears those cherubim crying out with voices that shake the huge stones that make up the temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What's Isaiah's response? Oh, I want to join in this. I, I, I want to try out for the choir here. I, I, I want to sing the praises. And, no. He says, woe is me. A curse is on me, literally, is what he's saying. I am cursed. I am undone. I am, I am disintegrated, we might put it. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. No other fate can await me but obliteration, because I'm a sinner, and God is holy. That's what he's saying. All that you need to read into the text here where it says he is righteous. He is righteous. Now, I know you won't be able to. It's humanly impossible for us to understand just what righteousness is. We, we, cannot, we cannot cleanse our minds enough Picture true holiness. But by God's grace, we can begin to perceive that. And as we do, it inevitably means we're aware of our sin. That's what's behind John's statement here. What manner of love is this? How could it be that this righteous God would 
would act so that we would become his children. You see that? What kind, of a lo- what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God? I, I, I can't explain it, John. Saying, I, I, can't, I can't fully unfold it for you. But I want you to try to begin to appreciate the incredible nature of this love. Because this is the love of a righteous God for sinners. This is unlike any other love. This is not like any love that you experience here on earth. I don't care how good it is. I hope you have loving relationships with family and friends. I, I, I hope that there are strong bonds of love between you and others in the body of Christ. But there's nothing like this love. This is a love to be amazed at. That, that this God who is, who is righteous, who is holy, and, and we could go to a passage like Romans 1 that, that uncovers a little bit for us what human sin is like. We could look at some of the Psalms, some of the prophets that, that picture what, what human sin looks like to God. Is a, is a rotting corpse appealing? And sinful human beings to appeal to God. Just the opposite. And yet, and yet, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Are you beginning to catch sort of the idea what kind of love this is? John will say later in 1 John, love is from God. This is the love that God, this is the love of God made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The ultimate expression of love, John says, is in Jesus Christ, in the Father sending the Son to die for sinners, in the Son willingly laying down his life, and in the Spirit giving life, regenerating dead sinners and bringing them to life in Christ. In love, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, He that is God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It is the love of God, as Paul says in Romans 5, that has been poured into our hearts that has made us children of God. What kind of a love is this? This is a love pure and powerful. Powerful beyond any any other force in creation. 
this is the kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And it's as if John's saying, it's hard to believe, isn't it? And so he adds there at the end of, at the, end of the sentence, and so we are. He's already got to repeat it for us. So we are. We've been made new. We've been made different. That's what's behind his next statement. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We have taken on, in just a small way, a likeness of our heavenly body. And we're on a different wavelength in the world. Okay? There's been a total shift in our orientation. Our values are not the same. They're not rooted here on earth anymore. They're rooted in heaven because we've been united with him. We'll see that unpacked more as we go further on in the letter. But let's go on to verse 2. Beloved, loved ones, we are God's children now. Third thing in this earth now. That's what he's saying. Because you will, you will be like him. You will be in the presence of God, and you will be perfectly reflecting back his glory. I mean, that's what you were made for, okay? Human beings are created in the image of God. In other words, they were to image God. One of the reasons why there's not supposed to be any idols is because you're supposed to be the images. You're not supposed to make a fake image of God. You're the image of God. And so John's saying, one day God will present you before himself and you will perfectly reflect his glory. C.S. Lewis says on one occasion that if we could see, if we could see the simplest believer, some person who seems really insignificant in the life of the church, they're a believer, but, you know, they don't really contribute a lot or anything. Lewis says, if you could see that person in their glorified state, you would be tempted to fall down at their feet and worship. That's how glorious they're going to be. That's the glory John's quoting out here. If you've been made a child of God, you have the promise that one day you will perfectly reflect his image. like father, like child. There are many times when I regret that my, I've given so much of who I am to my boys. <laughs> They're like me in ways that I wish they weren't because there's a lot in me that's not good. But when you perfectly reflect your heavenly father, it's all good. It's all good. You will be like him because you will see him as he is. That love is what accomplishes that. Okay? That's how powerful this love is. This love is powerful enough to take you just the way you are, with all your failings, all your sin, all your shortcoming. This love is so powerful that when it is done with you, you will perfectly reflect the glory of God, and there will be nothing Nothing unclean in you. you. You will be the object of wonder in the eyes of the heavenly creatures. 
That's how powerful this love is. In the meantime, this is verse 3. Okay, we've seen what kind of love this is, or we've tried to see a little bit of what kind of love is. We've tried to see, imagine what it's going to affect in us. Now, verse 3 is in the meantime. Don't miss this. Okay, it's important. Everyone who thus hopes in him. Okay, you've been, you've been given this promise. Okay, scripture says, he who's begun a good work in you will see it through to the end. You don't need to worry that, you know, well, God started this, but he might not be able to get me to this point that John's talking about. I, I might not be one of those that get completely glorified. No, no, his love is strong enough to accomplish it. And so you have a hope, not a wishing. This isn't a hope against hope. This is a sure and certain hope. Okay? You have the word of God that he is going to do this. So if you have that solid of a hope, what effect is it going to have in you? What John tells you in verse 3. You get a hold of this hope, it's going to change your life. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The purification process that will culminate in your glory begins now. And it really makes sense, right? I mean, what we hope for shapes our choices in our lives, right? If I'm hoping to get a paycheck without really working too hard for it, I'm going to be lazy, right? Your hopes shape your living. John's saying, if your hope is on this glory that the Lord will affect in you through his love, then you're going to be moving toward that in this life. You're going to keep looking at that. You're going to keep gazing at Jesus. You're going to keep thinking about the righteousness of God. And that's just going to sort of pull you. Right? This is that process of sanctification that happens in a believer's life. You're justified as a believer. Okay, You're pronounced righteous as a believer. But there's also a growth in righteousness, a growth in holiness, a growth in sanctification. It's not something that you accomplish in your own strength by any means. It's not something that you do, but it's something that the Spirit does in you. He, he's purposed this. He's, he's, well, this is his will for you from the beginning. This is the whole reason why he made you his child, is to affect this in you. And so, for instance, we, <clears throat> we read in, in uh, Second Peter, uh, no, that's not the text I want, uh, First Peter, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, that's just saying, okay, th think seriously for a moment, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus reveals himself fully, when he comes again, his appearing, that's, that's his coming again in our text. When that happens, the fullness of grace will be evident to you. Set your hope on that. Hope on that. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Your hope is in God in this. Don't fall back into relying on your own strength here. Okay, that's just going to bring you frustration and and discouragement. Keep your hope on God and what he is doing. Stay in his word. You've been born again, Peter goes on to say, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It's alive and abiding in you as a believer. Keep yourself in it. This word is the good news that was preached to you. According to his great mercy, Peter says in another place, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a wonderful hope. Let that hope impel you. Let that hope draw you. Remind yourself of that hope. Read the promises of scripture till you have them memorized. Let that hope shape your thinking, your living. Hey, there's a culture around you that is doing its best, Paul says in Romans 12, to, to force you into its mold. Don't let that happen. Be transformed from the inside out through the power of God's word the Holy Spirit uses in your life. This is a wonderful life. God wants you to have a wonderful life, a life of growing in godliness because of what he does in you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as always, our thoughts uh, fall short of your truth. We pray that your truth would grip us, that that we would have a new and deeper appreciation for the love that you've shown to your people through Jesus Christ, that we would see in his, in his life, in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection, an incredible revelation of the love of God for us that makes us your children. Help us, Lord, to, to live as your children, to not live as children of the world, but to, to keep our eyes on you, to, to be inspired by that hope which is ours in Christ, uh, to live lives that, that more and more fully each day reflect your glory. Uh, that, that is our desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.